Hello, everyone. It's good to see you wherever you're joining us from, all of our campuses, online, wherever you may be. Welcome. I'm really, really genuinely glad you are here. Uh, before we jump in, a few important things to touch on, to go over. You know, we have a lot of really cool stuff happening in our church right now. There's like a move of God that we're excited about. You can hear it in the stories. You can see it on faces. You can see it in statistics. And, and there's, there's just a wonderful thing happening. One of the manifestations of that is that we're bursting at the seems and so y'all know that we're uh, making room for everyone. So we are starting new services and this slide will remind you, man, that starts next week, okay? So I hope some of you are 8 o'clock people because we have 8 o'clock services at some of our campuses and uh, we have Saturday night service now and pretty much all the service times are different. So tune in, pay attention, don't be like that daylight savings person who shows up and is like, what's going on, all right? We've been talking about it, pay attention, here we go. Um, also, next week, we have a special guest I'm excited about. He's been here before, he's our friend, Josh Simmons from Baltimore City, and Josh is going to talk about the thing that I think is the missing ingredient and the thing that is most needed in public life, private life, and our personal life right now. That's next week. And then after that, a brand new series called Rock Your World. Let's face it, a lot of times when we pray, it's lame. Okay? It's weak. There's no punch. There's no power. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't change God's mind. It doesn't change our mind because of the way and how we pray. And the fact is, when Jesus prayed... Man, he prayed with passion. He prayed, his was raw and real and radical. And we can actually pray like that. So even if you've never prayed before, or you're really bad at prayer, you can learn this in the next series. We're gonna try to all just say, how could, what would it look like if we actually prayed a little bit more just simply like Jesus did? And it'll rock your world and change the world around you too. That's gonna be great. It's gonna take us up to Easter. And I wanna remind you that we're entering into this season now that's it's a time of, of, of spiritual renewal. Historically, for thousands of years, the church has looked at this window we're in right now. Sometimes it's called Lent or whatever, but the weeks that lead up to Easter, like use that time to really lean into God. What's he saying to you? How is he, how is he leading you? And we've created an awesome resource I wanna share with you. Make sure you all know about it because I just want you to all to participate in it. It's a resource of devotions that comes in an audio format. And so we're gonna put some stuff on the screen. You gotta text in or you won't get it. But it'll come to your phone if you text into that number. You can check it out on the app as well. It's a short little recording every day. And uh, we've prepared it with just to hear from Jesus, some teaching or words of Jesus. And then like one of our staff prepares a little reflection and shares that. It's, it's awesome, guys. I'm telling you, don't miss it. So text into that. It'll be a great way over the next six weeks to lead you right up into Easter. Okay. Which brings us to today. All right. We're wrapping up our series called Weeds in My Garden. How many of y'all have weeds in your garden? Yes, because we all have weeds in our garden. It's just a simple way of us kind of saying we just want to be honest about mental health and some of the challenges that we're facing. And um, the response has been off the charts. The stories have been touching about how God's using this to make a difference, to bring help and hope in our own lives and then using us in the lives of other people. It started with our desire to say we've got to do something to be unstoppable and do some good. And we've got to do something with mental health and God's been doing some great stuff because we know Jesus cares about this. In fact, he said himself, I think it's Luke, 4, Luke 14, he comes and he begins his old ministry saying, I want to come to set the burdened and the battered free. I want you to know that God's doing, doing that in our church and he's going to keep doing it. He's going to set free everyone who suffers, who comes to him with this and something important is going to happen today in this last installment 
of our weeds in my garden because Jesus wants to free some more people today. We've been leaning into this song by Kendall Inskeep. You remember the words to that. She says, you know, I tell you that I'm whole, but the truth is I'm still healing. I tell you that I'm happy, but I'm grieving. I thought I was a fighter. I'm still in the fire. But if I'm being honest, I'm not being honest. I'll give you roses just hoping you don't see the weeds in my garden. If I'm being honest, I'm at my darkest. I'm sitting here waiting and praying for someone to show me what love is. I'm just being honest. And man, that resonates with us because that's where a lot of us are. We can so identify with those words. So we began six weeks ago by saying it's okay to to not be okay. And then we looked each week successively at worry and anxiety and harm, uh, uh, self-harm and suicide, stress and burnout, depression. And then last week, our, our special guests given really practical guidance on how to care for kids and students and young adults who are dealing with this stuff. And today, in a way, the series is over, but really the journey, I have a hunch, is gonna just begin today. Or it began a few weeks ago and the process of what God's gonna do on this issue is, is gonna continue for a while. Now I wanna make sure you know that even though this sermon series is over, this issue God's working on 365, right, 24 seven. Because some of you are like, well, I'm not sure I'm done yet. Well, of course you're not. I wanna remind you about the resource page we've put together for this. Guys, it's a gold mine, okay? I'm gonna put it on the screen here. You just go to mountaincc.org backslash mental health and it's all there, man. There's, there's mental health resources, there's videos from Christian counselors on each topic. There are the messages of there, past messages, scriptures that'll help you, excellent coaching. There's a music playlist with a bunch of awesome worship songs just to help you reset your mind when you need it the most. There's websites and books you can read and apps you can download. Man, it's a gold mine. And one of the things that, that might be most important for some of us moving forward is this idea of connecting with some others in what we call mountain care groups. Do you know about our care groups? And I tell you, they're just a lifeline for so many. There's a QR code that if you wanna just snap a picture of that QR code, it will take you right to the page that will help you know about them because some of you are like, your mental health is a result of the grief you're going through. And there's a group that'll help you. It's called Grief Share. Or if you're struggling with a, or working through a separation or, or a divorce, there's a group for that. There's Celebrate Recovery, which meets Monday and Friday nights. And there's groups within that on pornography, gambling. There's one called Regret to Recovery. That's for women seeking post-abortion healing. There's a, there's a, a new one for those struggling with anxiety. You just sit around and just have some help for this. And this fall, we're gonna be adding groups on for those who have experienced trauma, who have suffered a miscarriage, and also a suicide support group. So I'm just telling you, man, there's... This is more than a sermon series. This is our life moving forward as God helps us. And that's why I'm so excited about this few moments we have together right now. Because whether you're at home or at one of our campuses, um, I think we're gonna see a turning point for what I hope is every one of us in just the next few minutes. So we're gonna take everything we've talked about, we're gonna bring it to the Lord. Because here's, here's the thing. We all have weeds in our garden, but we have a good gardener. Anybody with me? 
We've got a great gardener, man. He knows how to keep, kill weeds, yank weeds, get rid of weeds. He also knows how to grow things even with weeds. He knows how to, this gardener can even make weeds look good sometimes. And because we have a good gardener, that means we have a choice. I want you to think about this. You have a choice about what you're going to do from here with whatever your weeds are. You can, number one, you could just repeat it. In other words, nothing changes. You heard a bunch of words that went in one ear out the other. You didn't do a thing and you just, nothing changes. You could repeat it or you can release it. You can surrender into the hands of God the weeds in your garden. And when you do that, when you let it go, God will do something. And God, will, God, God may remove it like through a process or instantly, through counseling, through friends, through these care groups I mentioned, through your own prayer, through all kinds of stuff. God can remove it, set you free, but God will redeem it. He will make something good come out of the cruddy thing in your life, that weed. He will find a purpose for our pain and use it for his glory. But that's up to you. The first step is to decide, I'm not just going to repeat this. I'm just gonna, uh, something's going to change in my life. And by God's grace, I'm going to release it into his hands so he can remove it and redeem it. And so that's where we are. I came today to tell you that we all got weeds in our garden, but you've got a good gardener. And if you have weeds in your garden, you struggle with mental health stuff from time to time or all the time, it does not mean you are not significant. It does not mean you're not spiritual enough. It doesn't mean you're not trying hard enough. It doesn't mean that you're not strong enough. You look in the Bible, the heroes of our faith, Jeremiah, Peter, Hannah, Job, Jesus himself, Jonah, Moses, all of them struggled in different ways with what today we'd call mental health. What they demonstrate is that there's weeds all over the place, but we have a good gardener. And that means whatever your situation is, it's not over. Your story's not over. This may be a big deal in your life or a small deal, but I want you to believe for a second that it's not over. There's something else that needs to happen with this. I believe that. We have a God who notices the little things, is strong enough to handle the big things, and is wise enough to know what to do. Now, can I remind us quickly, there are sometimes these four different causes or backgrounds to the weeds that pop up. And one, we've always said, you know, you get some weeds. Sometimes it's situational, right? There's something that's happening in your life. It's a big deal. And it's like, wow, it, it affects you mentally. So situational is one of those sources of weeds. The other is biological. There's something about how you're wired and how your body chemistry works that just makes you more prone. The third is medical. And that's, that's like there's something off right now. And then the fourth is spiritual. And usually, isn't it a combination of some of those? It's an interesting mix when we find ourselves in trouble. Now, I want to dive right in here and get to the thick of it. I was reading recently a friend who's a devout Christian but who has struggled for a long time with depression. And he was saying, you know what? It took me a while to figure out that the principle of cause and effect was at work in my life. I got to thinking about that. There are effects that we've been talking about week by week, depression, anxiety, stress, burnout. Those are the effects. And his question is, I started to wonder what was the cause, like the real cause. 
And I think he's right because, friends, listen, we're made by God to flourish. And when we have emotional pain, it's not random. Like somewhere in your life, that's a signal that there's something lurking. There's a problem that's out of whack. David, Old Testament, right? Everybody turn your Bible to Psalm 42 if you got it or get on your phone or whatever. Psalm 42, middle of the Bible. Here's this guy, David, and he's at a really rocky time in his life. There's a lot churning inside of him. His son is trying to kill him. There was an insurrection in his own, you know, country. He's the king. He's really running for scared. And he says, he writes these powerful words. It's like a deep prayer in Psalm 42. Look at the travail he's under. He says in Psalm 42, the first four verses, he says, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Here's a guy who's in a dry desert place, thirsty for some more of God. He knows he needs God. He wants to taste joy again. He talks in the next verse 3 about how he's got tears for his food. Where's, where's God, his friends are saying. He's, he's, God seems distant. Verse 4, he says, I remember how it used to be. I used to be happy. I used to go to church. I used to be right in the thick of things, giving thanks all the time. I'm not that way. Now I'm depressed. I got this anxiety and this worry and this stress and I'm burnt out. So then in verse 5, he asked the million-dollar question. Here's what he says. Why? Why am I discouraged? Some say, why is my heart so downcast? What, why is my heart so sad? I know I'm going to put my hope in God and praise him again and all that. I know that. But right now, I'm not that way. What, what's behind it, he says. What's making me depressed? What's making me nervous or stressed or anxious or tired or miserable or angry all the time? Those are just the effects. That's just symptoms. That's dashboard. What's under the hood? And it's a great question because sometimes we get to thinking about like maybe depression as a disease or anxiety like a disease. Maybe it is. I don't know. I'm not a professional. But but I also know this, I know it is a symptom of something else. That make sense? It's, a, it's telling us something's going on. And if we're going to really release to God like he's calling us to, he's going to take us on a journey. You release whatever you need to release to to God today. He's going to invite you to, to, to say, okay, for me to, to heal and to bring hope in that thing you just released to me, we might need to say what was causing it. And dig a little bit in your life. And sometimes it'll be obvious like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm dealing with the death of a loved one. I'm going through a marital issue. My kid is it's weighing me down or there's an issue at my job or I'm working 70 hours a week. I'm not sleeping. I'm not eating. I'm not, you know, there are, you know, God's going to have to address those things and we have to cooperate for this to work. I want to, I want to run through a fairly long list of things as you kind of have a chance to do some self-introspection over the next couple of minutes about what are some of the causes to some of the effects that we have in our life. Like if you're dealing with some anxiety, some depression, some stress, some worry, some burnout, some whatever it is, and that's the effect that you from time to time have, would you consider a list? John Mark Comer compiled some things and I kind of added to it and, and, and came up with this list. I want you to just think through it, do a self-check. Will you do that with me? First of all, one of the things that could be happening is this, bitterness. Everybody say bitterness. It'll kill you. It'll kill you. We live in a time when everyone tells us to get offended at everything and to never give it up. But when you hang on to an offense, it eats at you, doesn't it? 
And there are horrible things that people, maybe even in our own families, have done to us. Betrayal, neglect, divorce, stolen from us, all kinds of stuff. But when it stays on your brain, at first it feels good. It kind of feels like I'm doing something about it to protect myself. I feel bitter. But you know what? That, that protective armor becomes like a jail for us. And bitterness will eat you alive. And Jesus says, you got to forgive. He does, Jesus shows us. He forgives murderers and adulterers and thieves and prostitutes and everyone else and commands us to do the same. And I think he does it as much for our sake as anyone else's. Hebrews 12 says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root, there it is, no bitter root grows up in us. Someone's probably hurt you, really wronged you. Have you forgiven them? Because if you haven't, that may be partly why your soul is sometimes downcast within you. It'll show up somehow, like a beach ball you're trying to hold under the pool surface, either in impatience or anger or anxiety or depression or something. Number two, still with me? Talking about causes and effects. Are there possible causes on the spiritual part of this sexual immorality? Plain and simple. In the first century of Corinth, they were a sex-crazed society. Everybody wanted to have sex, 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 more sex. In fact, they had over, you know, a thousand prostitutes at the temple of Aphrodite, and their worship was mingled up with, with, uh, with sex. And then Paul comes along and he says, oh, man, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to somehow walk a different path. Flee immorality, he says. Because it affects your body and their body's gonna, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit and you can't expect to do stuff in your body and not it affect your soul. And so just be careful, honor God with your bodies, he says. And if you don't and you kind of follow the tide of the world and you, you live with sexual immorality going outside the boundaries of what God says is best for us, we'll learn the hard way and it's gonna affect us. And so Americans are spending about $15 billion dollars every year on porn, which means a lot of us are watching it and engaging in it. Christian families reports say are about 50% that say porn is a big problem in their home. In our society, it's just a punchline, a joke. It's assumed to have no consequence, but the truth is it robs your joy and your ability to find intimacy and adds to shame and frustration and all kinds of stuff. To quote a friend, you can have porn and sexual immorality in your life or you can have deep joy and peace, but you can't have both. I'm just saying, behind some of the symptoms that some of us have, it might just be, if we're calling a spade a spade, some of this going on. Number three is worry. And again, of course, it sounds cyclical, but anxiety and depression are like, there's sometimes we can't do anything about those. They just hit us and they come for a variety of reasons. But the way the Bible talks about worry is it says don't. Jesus teaches don't. In other words, worry is when you choose to fixate on what if and what if and the future and the past and things beyond your control. And Jesus says no. In fact, he says worry reveals your worship. What you worry about most is probably what you're putting above God. Is it your kids? Is it your money? What do you worry about? Your future, your job, all that tends to be our, reveal our idols. And he says seek me first. If you don't, it's, you're going to worry Number four is laziness. 
The Bible talks a lot about this. It says, you know what? It talks about the sluggard in the Old Testament. It says laying around, refusing to ever get anything done, procrastinating like all the time, shirking responsibility. It's an abdication of how God wired us up to be productive and on mission and, and, and recreating with him in the world. And that's why we feel like trash if we binge watch 74 hours of the office. Because it's like it's not really a healthy life-giving escape. Staying up till three o'clock in the morning, three nights in a row playing video games doesn't really make us feel like we took a vacation or a break. We don't feel energized. And it just sort of feeds into a laziness. Sometimes it's just habits like that become ingrained because we have something blocking us from being who we were made to be, to go accomplish something of purpose. Number five, unconfessed sin. We're not designed by God to hold our sin very long. He's given us a great way to just keep the accounts clean, but when we hide stuff from him and others, it just saps our energy. And then we become calloused to his voice and then he feels far away and the Bible seems tasteless and our prayers seem empty and because we're so busy just hiding. Do you need to pray that prayer of David in Psalm 51 where he says, just create in me a clean heart, God. I, I just want you to, I want to, I want you to renew a right spirit within me. Restore the joy of my salvation. Sounds just so spiritual, but you know it, it will affect our mental health. Maybe sometimes it would be something different, like something horrible that happened to you. This can be a great cause. Maybe you were abused or raped or experienced neglect or betrayal or slander or something horrible. I can't even stand reading that list. But you know, as John Mark Comer has said, one of the primary causes of depression is sin, but it's not always your sin. It might be someone else's. And that's why we've got to just do the only thing we can do is release this stuff to God. Is there something in your past that's making you sick in the present? Can't tell you the number of people I've talked to who struggled for years with mental health issue and finally when they unearthed it enough and got honest with God and someone else, there it was. What someone else did to them. Sometimes years ago. A couple more. Perfectionism. Because nothing's ever good enough, including yourself. Nobody measures up. It's a horrible burden to bear. Guilt is another one. We all make mistakes and have skeletons in our closet and bitter memories. Maybe it was an abortion or an affair or something you said or didn't say or you cheated. You know, Jesus went to the cross for that purpose, didn't he? So you and I wouldn't have to live with guilt. So today, in a little bit, we're going to have an opportunity to release our weeds. Some of you need to get rid of your guilt. Like you're still carrying around the guilt that Jesus died for. It's making you sick. The cross wipes the slate clean. Romans 5 says we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, we want that. Number nine, ingratitude and self-pity. Constantly feeling like we deserve better. Entitled to more. No one's doing me right. We feel ungrateful for the blessings we do have. We feel sorry for ourselves. Woe is me, my life sucks, I deserve better. And it will slowly rot you out from the inside. And the Bible says, man, give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't say wait for your circumstances to be happy and then give thanks. It says give thanks when? In all circumstances. That's how we get over it. And, and that ingratitude otherwise will suck you dry. So when we can live with life as a gift... And know that you're blessed. Count your blessings. Live with gratitude. It's the best thing you can do. 
for your mental health sometimes. Number 10 is isolation. If we didn't already know this before 2020, we know now that when we pull away from meaningful connection, especially the fellowship of like precious faith, we may look the same on the outside, but we're not okay on the inside. We need each other. It's time to come out, of com- come out of hiding and be part of community. So what can we do? If that's like some of the causes that bring the effect, what are other things we can do if we're serious about releasing to God and saying, God, remove this stuff from my life. Redeem it. What can we do? I'll just give you a handful, but you already know the answer. Probably. It's just that we don't always do it. So here's an invitation. No guilt here. Just an invitation. You want to be healthy and alive and flourish in your life? Pray. Talk to God about all of it. Like really take it to the Lord. In Philippians 4, Paul says, the key to anxiety is worry about nothing and pray about everything. Are you praying about it? Pray about it. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. During the season of Lent, the elders and I are going to be kneeling three times a day just as a simple little practice. I mean, they did it when I was a kid. It feels so silly to be telling you this, but... There's something really humbling about just kneeling. So to begin every day, maybe you would like to join us. Starting next Wednesday for the next six weeks, I'm gonna start every day on my knees right by my bed. Roll out of bed, maybe the dog's there licking in my ear, but I'm gonna try to just have about a 30-second prayer. Say, God, get my head on straight. I wanna offer this day to you and get our lives oriented in the right direction. I invite you to join me so we can just start our day in prayer. Set your clock for one o'clock, and then before you go to bed at night, just kneel somewhere. Maybe at work it's a little embarrassing. You just open your hands and said, we need to pray, don't we? Number two would be get daily scripture intake because there's too much bad stuff coming in. Garbage in and garbage out. So we got to get the voice of the enemy out of our head that tells us we're not good enough, not smart enough, and all the other garbage that comes in. We need to hear the voice of truth. So you got to figure out a way to get scripture intake into your daily rhythm to outshine the false messages that are there. And then those scriptures will come to mind and give you, give voice to exactly what we're feeling and exactly what we need as we drink in God's thoughts from scripture. I like to, I like to use just the audible version on my phone so I can be shaving and listening as I begin the day. Maybe, maybe you want to join in another spiritual discipline, which is scripture before phone. So the first thing you're doing is not, oh my gosh, I'm already behind. <laughs> I'm, not even, I'm not even taking my morning pee and I'm already distressed. I mean, it's ridiculous. Why do we do that? Why do we sit there in bed at night and scroll and doom scroll as the last thing before? It's like, no, scripture before phone, scripture after phone at night. Number three, worship. Be here. Get online if you're out of town. It won't change your problems, but it'll change you. It'll change the way you look at your problems when you worship and let the song sing you. Get that playlist out as a resource page. Listen for 10 minutes. It'll change your whole perspective. Worship. That's what worshipers. And number, number four, whatever it is, put good stuff in your mind. Put good stuff in your mind. As we think in our minds, so are we. 
So whatever is good or noble or pure, think on these things. We gotta de- Paul says we can demolish strongholds in our minds when we bring every thought captive. And finally, lean into community. Lean in to community. Hey, I'm going to tell you something you already know. There ain't no perfect church out there. Church isn't perfect. It's pretty popular to point that out. It's like, hey, you know what? Church is not perfect. It's like, oh, well, you're a genius. Church isn't perfect. This church is far from perfect. Didn't take a lot. Didn't take a genius to figure that out. Church isn't perfect, but it's essential to your life and God. The community, the people. It's not an institution, not a building, not a service. It's the people that we need to connect with. That's why Galatians 6 says part of the way God wants to help us deal with this stuff is that we support each other and carry each other's burdens. So you're casting it on God and others are saying, hey, you got some leftover, but I'll help you. You want to break free from the hold of anxiety and depression in your life? You can't do it alone. You got to be neck deep in relationships that are real and open with your brothers and sisters centered in a church like Mountain. You want to have a breakthrough? You got to do it in community. This stuff, there's really no other way. Jesus saves. We know that. Him alone. Him alone. Jesus saves. You know how he, do, how he does it? Jesus saves. He does it through the hands that reach out to you through his, bro, through his children. And that's how you're going to get picked up and held is in community. Jesus saves, but he uses the church. So, friends, we're going to take action right now in the next couple minutes. Uh, this isn't one of those like, hey, this is a great message. Let's um, take that to heart and uh, what's for dinner? We're, uh, you know, we're going to put it into action right now. There's no homework so much as we're going to do it together right now. Are you ready? Let's live this out and just take a simple step. Whatever direction the Lord would want to lead us gently and help us find hope and healing, let's do it right now, okay? Remember, we've all got weeds in our garden, but you've got a good gardener, which means you've got a choice. You can just say, well, I don't care. It doesn't mean anything to me. I'm just going to repeat everything. Or you can release it. Surrender it to God. And if you do, he's going to either remove it or redeem it or both. We're going to give ourselves a chance to experience that truth right now. That idea of releasing maybe most clearly comes from this scripture I want to plant in your, th- in your brain, 1 Peter 5, 7. It's the one where Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him. Anybody grow up fishing with a little angling rod? You know, what, you know how to cast, right? Put enough weight on that thing. It goes pretty far. Put a little tiny fly on there. So I love that illustration because the bigger the burden, the bigger the weight, the farther you can cast it. That word is a violent word in the Bible. It doesn't mean give or hand or seal up in a little envelope. It means throw violently in God's direction. Why? Because he cares. So we're going to have an opportunity to do that right now. Say, Jesus, I need to cast my anxiety on you. Some of you need to say, I need to cast my hurt on you. Help me with my stress, my anxious heart, my depression, my suicidal thoughts. I want to give it all to you. Into your hands I commit my spirit, as Jesus would say. Release it. Maybe you need to release some of the causes that we've talked about. Release some of your guilt, some of your perfectionism. Invite him into that. 
Maybe you need to release some of your laziness or bitterness or ingratitude because you can't really just fix the effect without fixing the cause. And you can release the solutions too because maybe God's going to say, I love this of where we're going. I'm going to use a counselor to help you. I'm going to use a small group, a care group to help you. And you need to be open and responsive. If you're going to cast it and release it, then you'd be ready. And he will either remove it or redeem it. Remove it. If you want God to remove it where he can really take it away, again, he might use a doctor, he might use a counselor, he might use time, he might use scripture, he might use a friend, he might use a small group, he might just instantaneously take it. It might take a few years or even a month or a week, I don't know. Psalm 40, it it just says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Well, you wait patiently while God removes it. Wait patiently. Wait patiently. Because he'll hear your cry, he'll hear our cry. And verse 2 says, he lifted me. He actually removed it. He lifted me out of the pit. He put my feet on solid ground, steadied my walk. He's given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise, and many are going to see it. One day you have a story to tell. When you release it, God's either going to remove it or he could redeem it. Redeem it. You know what that means, right? God's going to find a way to use what's happening in your life for his glory means it's not over. There's more to the story. Like, like Romans 8.28 promises. What does Romans 8.28 says? It says, in what? All things God works for the good. In what things? God, are you at work in my anxiety? God, are you at work in my depression? God, are you at work in this? It doesn't feel like it. I don't see you. I don't get it. But I know that you are at work for my good because you love me and have a purpose for my life. That's trusting that God will redeem something in your life. How is he going to do that? Well, I know one way that it happens in a lot of people's lives, in my own, my darkest moments, my dark night of the soul, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's when I finally remember I have a shepherd. Because otherwise I'm just a sheep out trotting on my own. Is it possible that what you're going through is God's way to draw you closer to himself? Because then when we're crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure we finally learn to rely on God in our desperation. Sometimes our struggles are a gift, an unwelcome gift, but a gift nonetheless that push us toward God. So we stop trying to do it all on our own. How could God redeem what you're going through? You know what Paul says in 2 Corinthians? Here's a guy who experienced a lot in chapter one, verse three and four. He says, I'll praise. He's talking about all his hurts and all his pains and all his sorrow and all that they have. And he says, you know what? All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because here's why. God is merciful as a father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles. Then he says, you know why he does that? So that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. If you've never been broken and then held in the hands of God, how are you supposed to help someone else who's broken? You may have weeds in your garden, but God wants to redeem those weeds. He's a good gardener. He can do that. Friends, your trouble and your trauma could be the beginning of your testimony, but you've got to release it. Your pain could be the center of what you're going to proclaim 
about what God has done in your life. Your struggle could be the key to your story. You've got to turn it over to him. Your hurt can be the way that you bring healing to someone else. The, the stuff you're going through can be a bridge that will lead right into someone else's life so you can look them in the eye and with tears in your face and say, I get it, I've been there. Let me tell you what Jesus is doing in my life. Here's hope for you so they won't give up. Your oppression is an opportunity, friends, but you gotta trust that God is gonna redeem it and stop asking, how can I get out of this? How can I get out of this? Instead, maybe we just start asking, what is God gonna do with this? What is God gonna bring out of this? I've got a couple of friends, Tyler and Clayton, who are pastor buddies of mine, and we got to talking and, and they got to sharing with me about just like stacking up all of the powerful truths of what is ours in Christ Jesus when we truly ask him to, to remove and redeem us. Can I share with you what is yours? If you are a, a person who has said, I trust Christ with my life, can I share it with you? Can you just open your spirit right now? Will you just open, like take your chest and pry it open? and hear the word of the Lord that what you have in Christ, in Christ, we have freedom. We have innocence and grace upon grace. We have redemption and righteousness of God. They're ours in Christ. We have a heavenly father, a selfless son and a Holy Spirit and billions of brothers and sisters in Christ. In Christ, there is no condemnation. There's a new birth, a new creation. You get to wear new clothes. You have new mind. You have new heart. You have new nature, a new covenant. You have new hope because Christ is raised from the dead and he placed you in a new family and he's called you to have a new destiny and identity. It's all yours, what? In Christ. In Christ, you are chosen, you are accepted, you are loved, you are forgiven, you are adopted into the family, you got a place around the table. In Christ, you've been liberated, you've been consecrated, initiated into the family. You've been anointed, you've been purified, sanctified, unified, and justified in Christ. And you have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. They can flood into your life. How? Through the spirit that is yours through Christ. You can have that. You can have wisdom and vision and creativity and purpose in your life. The mission of God, the meaning of life, the mystery of the gospel are yours in Christ. You've been given power and victory and triumph and strength over every spiritual thing that's happening. You have the calm assurance that no matter what trial or struggle you're going through, you have a shepherd who will help you through the deepest, darkest valley and you never have to fear any evil that comes upon you because his rod and his staff, they comfort you. How do you have that? In Christ, you have that. It doesn't matter how hard life gets. It's nothing compared to the future glory that Christ will reveal in us when you are seen to be vindicated, resurrected, rewarded, crowned and perfected. What? In Christ. You have a new identity, a new story, a new future. You have value and worth. You're treasured, you're loved, you're wanted, you're fought for. There's so much that God has proved that through the bloody cross. He, he proved it through the empty tomb. And you have an epic mission in life, an epic hope, and an epic ending. And you are more than enough. Christ is more than enough. His grace is enough. You have everything you need in your battle against worry, anxiety, depression, and all of it. It is all outmatched because of who we are and what we have in Christ. I hope you never forget it. I hope you never forget it. So let's do some business with that kind of Christ. At home, Get something to write on or, I don't know, some part of your phone where you can really do some serious business with God. All of our campuses, will you get, get this stuff out here? You know, I heard someone yell, there's a weed here attached to these two cards. You should have got handed one of these on the way in. Oh, can I see them that you have them? You didn't get them. Are they in the seats? Okay, hey, can someone grab them? 
I'm going to talk a little bit, and someone's going to go grab them, and you'll have them in just a second at this campus. I think at all the other campuses, I think they have them. But you're going to have this. Maybe the reason we didn't get it is we didn't want to hand weed out at the door. I, I, don't, know, I don't know why that is. I knew I was wondering why that church was growing so fast. Yeah, this card right here, I, I, you're going to get something in just a minute if you don't already have it in your hands. There's two cards, and attached to it is a weed. Okay, a weed. It's your weed. The weed in your garden. I'd like you to write two things on the card. And the other card is just to kind of save for yourself and repeat, if, you know, to, to remember what you wrote if you want. But on that card, I want you to write down what you need to surrender to God. What are you going to release today? Like for real. Finally. Because it's time. You want to, he wants you to. What do you want to release into his hands? Jesus, I'm letting it go into your hand. Jesus, I need you to help me with this anxiety. I need you to help me with this stress, with this cause that's leading to some of me not feeling so great sometimes. Maybe it's just one word or maybe one little prayer. You don't have to sign your name. You're just going to say, God, it's my stress. It's my worry. It's my anxiety. Just give it to the Lord. Release it to him. Trust God to remove it. And that might be through a process, a decision you're going to make about seeing somebody or joining a group or better habits. Or maybe you're just going to trust God to start redeeming it because you've been working on it for weeds. For years, you've pulled this weed a hundred times and there it is. And so it's like, all right, God, how are you going to use this? Either way, you've got to release it. So write that, write that on that card. That's about you. Maybe instead of asking, how can I get out of this? Your prayer will now become, God, I've prayed for this thorn to be removed and now I just need your grace to be enough for me. What are you gonna bring out of it? That's the first part of the card. On the second part of the card, or maybe on the back, it's not about you, it's about someone else. Someone you want to lift up before God because they're hurting. They got something going on that burdens you now. You see the anxiousness in them. You see the burnout in them. You see the anxiety, the mental health, all of that. Maybe they're suicidal, they're weighed down, and you just want to speak Jesus over their life and say, Jesus, can you do something? Can you do something here? Write their name down. So two parts of the card. What do you need to let go of? And who do you need to lift up? Maybe just a name or an initials. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing together for a little bit. All of our campuses are going to sing together the same song. And during that song, as soon as we start singing, you're free to come. There are wheelbarrows up here. At our house, when we pull weeds, that's what we do with them. We throw them in the wheelbarrow, and then we get rid of them forever. So there's a wheelbarrow around. You'll see them. All of our campuses. Get up out of your seat. Come with a prayer. Deposit that card and that weed in there. What are you going to release and who are you going to lift up? Let's pray together. God, we ask you to show us.